welcome to the Buenos Aires podcast. So <laughs> I just needed a moment to like, you know, just step away from my podcast and like just everything in general. But I am so happy to be back. And I just want to say how thankful I am for having you listening. And literally, you guys, you guys motivate me to keep fighting, being better, and keep, and keep improving the content I provide. So thank you. <laughs> but um, a few weeks ago, on June 23rd, I turned 20. <laughs> so I decided that now is probably a good time to, you know, just to get a little bit more personal and intimate with my story. I think that a few people are aware that I struggle <laughs> with something, but not really like the details or how extreme it can be. I think that me being open, you know, with my audience creates more intimacy, which then leads to a stronger community. I think that as of right now, people only see me like on the surface. You know, people follow me on social media and, you know, they think that that automatically they think that they know me <laughs> or that my life is put together. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> Very few people actually know me or the things I struggle with or the experiences that have shaped me. I think that in our society in general, no one really takes the, na- the time. <laughs> oh my God. takes the time to really know people deeply we are so quick to judge others based on what we don't even know and like i can preach about how labeling is unkind and it's wrong but it's still gonna happen people are always going to see me the way that they choose to so i'm not gonna change who i am i'm not gonna have my culture or my faith my past trauma or my current struggles just to accommodate to the comfort of others I am constantly imprisoning myself and allowing others to dictate who I am and make me feel guilty in the parts of me I can't even control. Mental health is something, you know, I've been struggling with for a while now. It's a part of me, but it's not who I am. This year, I was diagnosed with bipolar. And honestly, living with it makes my life pretty interesting. So I want this I want this episode to like give you a little bit more insight on like the extremities of my emotions and to bring awareness to show how real and serious mental health issues are. I want to emphasize that just because you can't physically see it or fully understand doesn't mean it's not real. And like <laughs> I may be a roller coaster of emotions, but I'm still human. And although my mind works a little different, there are still parts of me that never change. Despite all the lows of depression or highs of mania and all the extreme emotions in between, despite my mind constantly being at war, I never stop loving. I bring heart and passion and oh, I'm so resilient. (laughs) And like, I want to help you guys, you know, own your story and live out loud. Stop making yourself smaller to make others feel comfortable. You know, if your if your food has flavor, don't take it out because people think it's too spicy. If your art makes people uncomfortable, if your passions make people uncomfortable, if your skin color makes people uncomfortable, then make them uncomfortable. People either tend to run away or destroy what they are afraid of. And so many people are afraid of you realizing the fire that you live and breathe.
I just want to start with talking about, you know, what bipolar is to me. You know, I think that people that have it, you know, they all experience it differently. But like, <laughs> in general, I'm just a very emotional person. But <laughs> there was this one time, you know, I was speaking with a social worker, and you know, she was describing me as a highly sensitive person. She was explaining, you know, that highly sensitive people in a sense are like sponges. You know, we absorb everything and we feel literally everything. And like I can agree with that because I can articulate other people's emotions. And the closer I am with a person, the more I can genuinely feel with them. And because I process emotions so deeply, and I'm just a very expressive person, I tend to write a lot of poetry. Am I right? What a nerd. <laughs> But um, I kind of described, you know, this feeling in like a small poem that I wrote. And it said, um, when you cry, I cry. Everything you feel, I feel too. No matter where you are, no matter where you go. Every time your heart beats, my senses feel. So pretty much what I was saying was that when I form an intimate bond with someone my soul is like kind of tied with them you know and <laughs> you probably I'll probably sound like a hippie right now but I just think it's God's way of you know connecting me to people that are in a more vulnerable state and I guess just being like you know a little angel to them sort of in emotional pain but you know it took me a long time and a lot of pain to realize that being highly sensitive is a gift rather than a weakness. Like, I've been shut down a lot or guilted for feeling the way that I do. And I definitely remember that as a child, you know, I would cry a lot. Not like little annoying kids or like be throwing tantrums for no reason. You know, it was a lot of silent crying. And if I was lonely, I would cry. If I was stressed, I would cry. And I think, like, not a lot of teachers were going to handle it very well. So, you know, they would kind of make me feel embarrassed for crying. You know, they would isolate me a lot. But I just remember, you know, always crying alone. And then, you know, at home, you know, I'm the oldest. And I grew up in a pretty traditional Hispanic home. And I've definitely heard the <laughs> stop crying before I give you something to cry about. But, like... The way I processed emotions or even discipline was a lot different than how my siblings processed it. You know, I grew up in a home where the majority of the time, you know, my parents were in survival mode. You know, we struggled financially and, <laughs> you know, it was rice and beans every day. I'm not complaining, rice and beans are bad, but like, oh my gosh. But, you know, even though we couldn't afford a lot, I did have a very happy childhood because I always had family. You know, whether it was my own family or my a million cousins, my aunts and uncles, like, I always had family. And, you know, my parents had me and my siblings pretty young, and my parents were learning and navigating through a new season in life they've never been through. Having kids is hard, bro. Like, I have so much respect for my parents and the sacrifices they made. Both my parents had their own traumas and abuse and their own ways of dealing with emotions. And even though my my relationship with them is a little bit of a roller coaster, I know that the love is unconditional. And if God is in the center of our home, I know that all wounds can be healed. But, like, as I got older and <laughs> transitioned to, like, middle school, 
you know, that's when I start to feel in a way um, emotionally neglected. Like, like I said before, you know, my parents have always been in survival mode. And, you know, in order to support and provide for your family, you know, parents need to make, like, sacrifices, like, and just, like, hard decisions in general. But, you know, I don't really remember my dad being there too much because of, like, the long hours he worked. And it's not like we had, we didn't have a bad relationship. We just, we never really got, you know, too close. And then my mom, <laughs> you know, she just she just raised me very similar. Well, a little similar to like, you know, how she was raised. Definitely not as extreme, but you know, that learned behavior was passed down. You know, and I just, I've always felt that my mom was very critical towards me. You know, no one at school has really hurt my feelings too much, but my feelings were definitely hurt at home. You know, both me and my mom have very strong personalities. You know, she's just a very passionate person. <laughs> but, you know, at home, it was a strictly parent-child relationship. You know, it was always made very clear that my mom was just my parent and not my friend. Yeah, I, I felt very disconnected from my family. And that, you know, usually most of the attention I received was disciplinary. You know, I had... I had so much emotion, you know, just built up. I mean, I didn't really know how to process or release them. And I just think that, you know, the times when I when I needed to be loved the most is when I was shut out the most. And I don't know, it's just, I started to become more vocal and like a little... <laughs> Well, pretty rebellious at school <laughs> because I was angry all the time. You know, at school, like, I appeared in my dominance and people knew that I would fight back. <laughs> at school, I had no problem speaking up. I wasn't afraid of any teacher because I knew that I couldn't do any. I knew that they couldn't do anything to me that was worse than what could have been done at home. <laughs> you know, I was always in and out of the principal's office, but, like, it wasn't until the principal threatened to expel me is when things started to get more serious. You know, overall, I received a lot of negative attention from either my teachers or my parents, but I continued to act out because I mistook attention for love, and that's why I suffered so deeply. When my parents were more aware of what was happening at school, that's when more discipline came. But little did anyone know, I always disciplined myself first before I allowed anyone else to discipline me. Middle school was the first time I self-harmed. You know, I hurt myself with my words, I hurt myself with my body because that's what I felt like I deserved. I guilted myself so much and disciplined myself so much that when I was actually disciplined, it broke me. I just accepted that this is how it was. I never spoke up, never told anyone how I felt, mainly because I believed that my problems were too small and that I was emotionally weak. You know, my father wasn't an alcoholic. I didn't see my friends get shot or sent to jail. My parents weren't divorced or separated. I didn't have to flee my country because gangs came shooting at my door. 
All of these were very few things that my parents experienced. So who is I to say that I was hurting when I had a roof on my head, food to eat, and a school to go to? I stayed quiet. You know, like I grew up some more and you know, I moved to high school and I matured a lot more. And I just poured myself out into schoolwork and sports. You know, I wasn't healed, but I was very distracted. You know, I was going from seven in the morning and didn't come home until night because of either practice or games. I was very independent and I loved it. I was pretty happy for the most part. And I never really self-harmed in high school. But I still had a very, you know, very loud inner critic. I got amazing grades. Yeah, I compared myself to like the geniuses in my class that did literally nothing but school. I played a sport every single season. Yeah, I compared myself to the girl who played just basketball since she was like two. My negative thoughts became louder. And with people like that one coach who continuously reminded me that I was emotionally weak or, you know, me loving a person so deeply and them abusing that love, you know, I just began to become consumed with emotion and hurt. But I stayed quiet. You know, I was constantly telling myself, you know, just to deal with it. And that I was just emotionally weak because that's what I was told. After graduating high school, I knew I wanted independence. You know, I wanted adventure. I wanted an escape. So at 18, I got on a plane and I went to Argentina. And I guess this is when my story really begins. You know, in Argentina, I have some of the best and worst memories. I created such loving friendships with people like all over from like Brazil and like Colombia. And I am still friends with them to this day. Like, crazy, I love them. <laughs> but, you know, in Argentina, it's also when my emotions became more intense. And I didn't really know what was happening, but I knew something about me was changing. I fell into a very dark depression. You know, I've had phases of depression before, but this one was different. I completely gave up on school. I stopped eating. I hated going out and being around people. And that's leading to another such a social person. But, you know, I remember um, there was this one time. Yeah, I was very anxious. And... I didn't really know how to deal with it. So I just, I decided to just go on a run. And I was like on the more the countryside of Argentina. <laughs> and where I decided to run was surrounded by like seals and fields and fields and fields. And there was no one. And I just, I stopped running. Um, I was surrounded by silence. And that's when I broke down. You know, my thoughts were attacking me. My mind was attacking me. You know, my body was shaking. It was, becoming, it was becoming very hard to breathe. And I didn't know what was happening. There was this loud and like powerful voice in my head telling me that I needed to kill myself. I had never experienced that before. And in that moment, I could have screamed my lungs out and no one would have heard me. And that's really what I did. I screamed and I cried. But there was, you know... There was silence. There was no one around. No one could hear me. I felt, I literally felt so alone. You know, 
and while I was just sitting there, you know, with tears flying like down my face and me like just becoming more and more hard to breathe, there was this war in my mind telling me, go kill yourself, go kill yourself, go kill yourself. There's that cliff off the mountain not too far from you. No one will see you and no one will hear. You are a burden to your family. You are, your friends are out there living their lives. No one will notice. Just disappear. If anyone you know, saw me at that moment, they're probably going, yeah, yeah, something's a little off. But I was being destroyed from the inside. And that that's how powerful the mind is. It's not something you can see, but thoughts are powerful and emotions are possessive. And they can breathe life and they can take it away. I continued to struggle and I ended up coming back to the U.S little earlier than I planned <laughs> and, and I never really told anyone why and to see my family friend to be able to eat all the foods that I miss was nice you know for a while it was good but you know there's this darkness that started to fill me again conflict really started to rise in my home and again you know I would always punish myself first before I would let anyone else punish me after years and years, I self-harmed once again. The only thing that was going through my mind was, I need to leave. I need to escape. So from Maryland, I went all the way down to Tennessee to study. <laughs> I told people that I just needed adventure. And although that was very true, a big part of me also just wanted an escape. So once again, I got on the plane and I left. In the beginning, I loved Tennessee. I made so many friends so fast. Everything was good in the beginning, but then my depression just started to form again. You know, there's a lot going around me. I began to have absolutely no motivation for school or my future. And I distanced myself from God, family, and friends. But like, that's literally what the devil does. He isolates you to the point where his voice becomes so loud. You know, telling me, you are unloved by God. You are unworthy. You are unforgivable. Your sadness is like poison to other people's happiness. You are a burden to those around you. All the sacrifices your family made and you still can't amount to anything. Yeah, I tried to receive help on campus. But the process was taking too long. I was already imprisoned by my emotions. Depression took my heart and soul to the grave and convinced me that my body needs to go along with it. You know, some days I would cry. Some days I would be angry. Some days I would go completely numb and I would cut myself just so I could feel. There were times when I would beg God to take my life. You know, after some time, you know, I ended up sneaking to a pastor because getting a school counselor was just taking too long. I was afraid that hurting my myself would end up in me being an actual danger. You know, some memories are kind of blurred. You know, I just I just remember not finishing my first semester there and coming home again. I didn't tell anyone why, and I didn't tell anyone I was home either. My depression and anxiety was worsening and the transitions between my moods were becoming more and more unpredictable and my emotions just in general were becoming more intense. 
again. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of details because my life has been a roller coaster since Argentina. But after some counseling, I returned back to Tennessee to start the second semester. I got to see everyone again and was roommates with my best friend back then. I was filled with so much passion and energy and I just wanted to live it up. I had let people that I loved go and I began to let new people in. Yeah, I still had days when I would like break down, but I also had days when I wanted to live life to the fullest. I felt like I had like a second chance at life. But at the same time, <laughs> I wasn't too scared of death either. You know, I was doing better, in which I didn't necessarily want to die. But if it happened, it happened. What are you going to do? <laughs> so I just started to become a lot more reckless. And I began chasing more and more of that adrenaline and began taking a lot more risks. I was already emotionally unstable. But now I was really emotionally unstable. Day by day, you know, my thoughts became more intrusive. My emotions became more possessive. I was more unpredictable with my words and actions. It was deeply controlled by my moods and feelings. I felt empty, yet weighted down by all of my emotions. From the racing thoughts to the strong urge to escape my body. I became more and more tired to the point where simply being alive was exhausting. Depression killed my soul. Yet God had the audacity to keep me breathing. I couldn't cry. I couldn't feel all my pain. Pain I didn't even understand was suffocating me. My weak and anxious body was trembling on the inside, but my tears stopped flowing and my screams became silent and I no longer felt human. I was tired and I was done fighting against myself. And I, I kept thinking to myself, why fight when I'd only be fighting myself? Why run when I'd only be running from myself? Why escape when there was nowhere to escape to? My mind was constantly at war. And yes, I was living, but I was no longer alive. During that second semester, you know, I was getting counseling. And I took the steps to receive extra academic help. But once again, I was losing that internal war. February 18th, the day I stopped loving myself. The day I hurt myself to the point where my intention was to reach death. Who cut? Who cut?
My body screams. My body shakes, but I would not stop. And I wouldn't have stopped if God hadn't sent me my angel that night. My angel, my roommate, and my best friend who is no longer part of my life, but will still forever be tied to my soul. The one who is physically there to stop me from ending my story too soon. The one who rescued me from myself. The one who never let go of my hand walking in and out of hospitals. The one who loved me when I stopped loving myself. And so, just as this repeats itself, I left once again. But unwillingly, I didn't want to go home. I didn't even feel like I had a home. It didn't matter if I was in South America or my, at my actual physical house or literally any other state or country in the world. You know, my body is supposed to be my home. My mind is supposed to be my home. I am supposed to be my home. But my body felt like a prison, not a home. It didn't matter where in the world I was. I was a house fire, constantly burning with flames. I had no home. And I wrote a poem based on these feelings, and it said, I'm lost. I'm desperately trying to find my way back home, but I don't know where home is. I explore new roads and adventure to different cities for a home I cannot find. I try finding it in other people. I try finding it in myself for a home I cannot find. I'm lost. I'm homesick for a place I have not been. I'm homesick for a person I have not met. I'm homesick for a home I cannot find. I'm lost. You see, I didn't know it was going to wake up wanting to kill myself or wanting to save the world. I didn't know if I was going to wake up wanting to pour out all my love to everyone or completely shut people out and isolate myself for days, weeks, or months. I didn't know if I was going to wake up and end up hurting myself or hurting someone else. I was living in this cycle of unpredictability. I didn't know whether an episode was going to last half an hour, half a month. It was a war in my mind and I was tired and I couldn't escape this cycle. My emotions had taken over and I was so overwhelmed by them that I was constantly telling myself, don't feel. Don't feel too much or don't laugh too hard. Because the more you feel, the more you hurt. The closer you hold on to people, the more it hurts to let them go. I was so consumed by the fact of not trying to feel too much that I ended up feeling nothing. I felt nothing. I didn't feel pain. I didn't feel sadness. I didn't feel joy. I didn't feel anger. I didn't feel anything. And when I was tired of not being able to feel somewhere in my mind, I convinced myself that maybe just maybe if I just kept cutting and cutting and cutting, that maybe just maybe I could feel again. 
that's the kind of darkness I was consumed with. I didn't care what the scars on my body looked like. I didn't care how lifeless my face looked or where my hair fell out, how I was losing too much weight too fast. I didn't care how many pills I consumed or what pills I consumed, what I put into my body. I didn't care if I was alive or not. And it got to the point where I needed to be rescued. And I spent some time in the hospital you know, crying my heart out, fighting with nurses, writing poems, and singing worship songs. And I will always remember that moment in my life because that's when I truly saw Jesus. That's when I was rescued. You know, I saw him in the nurses. I saw him in all my doctors, social workers, and therapists. I saw Jesus in them because, you know, they didn't, they didn't see just my disorder. You know, they saw me too. They saw me as a person. You know, I saw Jesus and my friends that loved me unconditionally, even when I was not always able to reciprocate that love. I saw Jesus in the people, you know, some that I probably don't even know of that lifted me up in prayer and loved me from miles away. I saw Jesus in the army of family that surrounded me and sent me letters because no one was allowed to visit. I saw Jesus in so many people, but I would, when I was at my loneliest, when I felt abandoned and unloved, that's when I truly felt Jesus. I didn't truly feel Jesus while sitting, you know, happily and pretty in the church pew. I truly felt Jesus when my arms were scarred, when my hair was dirty, and I had nothing but a hospital gown. You know, sometimes God needs to break you in order to allow a breakthrough. You know, I'll never understand the way the Lord works, but earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. You know, God has given me something powerful. Something so powerful that it can feel or destroy me. And I feel like I feel like there's beauty in that. God has filled me up with so much emotion that I can love people in ways that very few can. I can empathize in ways that very few can. I can feel in ways that very few can. I am an ocean filled with storms yet filled with life and hidden treasures. The ocean has the power to destroy life, but it's also home to all of it. Imagine a world with no oceans. Imagine a world without people like me. Imagine a world without people like you. I tried to end my precious life because I hated my storms. I hated my pollution, that power I had to destroy. But just like a roaring ocean, I am alive. You are alive. Despite all the trauma and pain, you are alive. There is power and beauty in every breath you take. Let God determine when it is your time to stop breathing. So through the years, I have learned a lot. And I would like to share some of that with you. I've learned how to deal with the lows of depression, my highs of mania, and every extreme emotion in between. So I want to lay out, you know, a few tips. But before I do that, I just want to reassure you guys that because I'm pretty experienced in dealing with like such extreme emotions, that 
I have no problem with any of you listeners reaching out to me so I can personally help you. If you don't know me personally, that's okay. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Calistamiana. That's K-A-L-I-S-T-A-M-I-L-E-N-A-A. And guys, literally talking about deep emotions is not my good combo. I can talk about this stuff for hours. <laughs> but I just really, I want you guys to feel more comfortable with your own emotions and better understand them. So before I close off, I just want to leave you guys with some random lessons I've learned from my own personal experiences. So the first one is, don't be afraid to ask or accept help. It has always been hard for me, you know, to accept help because I always believe that my problems are my problems and I would only be a burden to others if I were to ask for help. But that is only a lie that the devil instills into our hearts and minds. If you're struggling with speaking up, ask God to give you that courage to speak up about your pain because there are angels everywhere ready to serve you. Literally, some of people's jobs are just to help people. When you fake being okay, you're not being tough. You're only hurting yourself. So please, if you're believing in the expensive help, that's okay. You know, you matter. And I may not even personally know all of my listeners, but I can still say that I love each and every one of you. From miles and miles away, maybe you're even in a different continent. But just know that as strangers, someone who's never even met you can still love you because that's how capable you are of being loved. Have courage, get hope, and remember that as long as God exists, you will always be loved. The second one is never stop loving. I possess so much love within me, but the world tried to strip it all away. You know, it tried to take away all of my self-love and the love I have for others. You know, people mean, the world is mean, but... When you fill yourself out with godly love, when you form an intimate relationship with God and with yourself, then you will be able to continuously pour out a deep love that never runs out. You won't become numb to your own or other people's pain. You will still experience hurt and grief, but if you prioritize investing in yourself and investing time for your creator, then you will be so filled and consumed by love that no matter what life throws at you, you will never stop loving. The third one is take it day by day. (laughs) When I was in the lows of my depression, simply being alive was exhausting. Some days it was too hard for me to get out of bed or even eat. With bipolar, I have extreme highs and extreme lows. So it's important to create reachable goals that I can always achieve whether I'm in a high or in a low. If I achieve above and beyond during my highs, then that's great. But I cannot create goals I can only achieve in my highs and not in my lows because then that would lead to burnout and create frustration. For example, during a very low point in my depression, my only goal of the day was to eat a healthy breakfast. That's it. (laughs) And if I did that, then it was a successful day. You know, to the average person, that may sound like a ridiculous goal. (laughs) But that one small goal gave me a purpose for that day and a reason to live. Small goals transform into bigger goals. But you have to have patience, resilience, and endurance to build up to those bigger goals. 
And while you're in the season of smaller goals, don't let anyone undermine those smaller successes. People are always going to be one step ahead or one step behind. You're always either going to be in a position where you need help or you have the ability to help someone else. So celebrate your small victories and celebrate others' big victories without comparing. We can all love and support each other no matter where we are in life. Life is not a race, so be intentional about your everyday. And remember that small goals are actually habits being formed for creating a healthy and happy lifestyle. So for the last one is own your story and live. Oftentimes we hate the experiences, losses, or moments of trauma that we've been through. But we have to remember that our life story is written by God. He used our past in order to build other people's futures. Stop limiting yourself because of where you are, where you've been, or because what has happened to you. When you limit yourself, you are limiting God's power to work within you. You have walked through fires and each day you rise up because you are fueled by the power that made the stars worship, the mountains bow, and the oceans roar his greatness. You are fueled by the power that makes the darkness tremble. You can rise up from anything because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. Do not limit yourself. Do not limit God. Because earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Romans 5, 8 says, You are loved more than you may ever know by the man who died to know you. You can live confidently and passionately because you are loved by God. Do what you are afraid to do. Go where you are afraid to go. Take the risk you are afraid to take. Love the people you are afraid to love. Invest in your future, but invest in you now. Real life experiences will shape you better than any class ever will. You need to balance hustle with purpose because literally you could die tomorrow. <laughs> so what are you doing today to bring joy to yourself, to bring joy to others, to bring joy to God? Jesus knew it was his last day to live here on earth. And you know what he did? He washed feet. Be humble, be kind. You are alive today, and no matter where you are in life, how old you are, or the pain you've experienced, you can always start again. You are not defined by your past mistakes, trauma, or mental health disorders. Your past has no control over your current or future accomplishments. Find freedom in vulnerability. Own your story and live. <laughs> but before I end, I just want to close off with one last poem that I wrote that pretty much explains my entire last couple of months. And it says, I felt trapped in my own body, desperately trying to escape. All the doors were locked and I began to go insane. I tortured my own body because I hated the breath it gave me. If only I could escape my flesh. If only I could be free. My head began to pound 
my heart began to ache. Oceans started flooding and the earth began to quake. My body flowed with natural disasters. It was all coming to an end. Didn't say goodbye to my family or my friends. They strapped me to machines, but my body was just enough drugs because my emotions got the best of me and I was ready to give up. See, being mentally ill is like having cancer that breaks you apart, made to slowly kill, but with your own soul and heart. I looked around at hospital gowns and broken, tearful faces and saw that Sometimes it's the saddest people who love the most in every way because love is the only thing the world couldn't take away. And the people who go unnoticed, the ones a little afraid, hold the deepest stories and have the most interesting things to say. But the world shut them out simply because they struggled a little more. So their voices became more silent and their stories went untold. To the ones who lost to suicide, with broken hearts and unfulfilled dreams. To the ones struggling to stay alive, with bloody cuts and slow breathing. I'll be your voice. I'll share your story. And talk about how the embodiment of passion, fight, and power is something we'll always be. I won't numb my feelings. I won't close off my heart. I'll showcase my story with my voice like it's art. My words are made of fire, and it's time I burn down that door. No matter if people run or they tremble, because the greater my pain, the louder my roar. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that this episode brought empowerment and motivation to you today <laughs> but before i end i want you to think about at least three people that you can share this podcast with just by simply recommending this to someone else you're not only supporting me but you're bringing inspiration empathy and good vibes to their life i started this podcast because i wanted to bring life to those with living bodies with dying souls to those with physical scars and unseen wounds. You know, it's a hug to those that feel unloved, abandoned, and on the verge of ending things too soon. You know, so many people run away from deep emotions or the darknesses that other people face. I am here to embrace every scar that's been on your heart and love you for who you are. Again, thank you so much for listening to episode four titled, I am a powerful woman.